Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than the original Baywatch. And after all, how can you not be in love with Yasmin Belief? I'll be ready, I'll be ready. I promise I'll stop singing on here, I, I will, I will. My name is Ash Rose, your host and guide to this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. And yes, hello again. It's another bonus episode we're doing for you. As it's FA Cup final weekend, it'd be remiss of us not to talk about the 1990 finals. Um, we have done an FA Cup show before. Um, we had Joel Young, of course, the grandfather clock of AK90s. I'll stop calling that, mate, honest. And I think we also had Ian Cruz, of course, from TalkSport. Come on, talk to us. And we talked about FA Cup runs and giant killings and uh, just the magic of the cup, basically. I think that's what the episode was called. But we didn't actually touch on the finals on purpose because... I wanted to do a finals episode at some point and how more apt than now where we are just days away from the FA Cup final between Arsenal and Chelsea uh, of course that's, that never happened in the 90s I know that happened in the, the 2000s didn't it um, the, uh, the Arsenal met Chelsea but never a final in the 90s they both did reach the FA Cup final which of course we'll get into on today's show uh, before we get started on that though uh, just a little shout out to our last episode really enjoyed that the playoff stuff um, something we haven't really covered a lot we got to talk more about lower league especially with Paul Benson and Grimsby and the Cholton final which we covered in more detail which coming from that area as I mentioned on the show um, I remember it very vividly. Uh, mainly because everybody in school suddenly became a Chelton fan and I was the random QPR fan as I'd always been but yeah that was good to talk to that with uh, Paul Breed especially from him who actually wasn't a Chelton fan at the time but has gone back in time and revisited uh, the the game in in all its glory because it's such a a memorable game and what a terrible penalty from Michael Gray that was of course it's playoff action still to come as well Um, well done to Millwall obviously I said I was watching the game last time out I did watch it with a very happy brother-in-law but there's still more playoff final action to come this weekend as well so look forward to that I do love the playoffs if you're not involved in them directly they are a great thing to watch as a neutral and I'm I'm glad that uh, they've stayed the way they are I know there's many sort of fans and other authorities that don't like the playoffs but I, I bloody love the playoffs I really really do Something else I used to bloody love as well was Cup Final Day. It's just not the same, is it, anymore? It really, really isn't. It's such a shame. I know they like to hark back to the Magic of the Cup, and it's been a better year this year, of course, what with Sutton and Lincoln and everyone like that, but it's not as the same as it used to be in the 1990s, of course, as we celebrate here on this podcast, and the all-day affair that it used to be on uh, BBC, I think it was at the time, I think it would have been BBC for sure. Um, sorry if you can hear my dog in the background, I'm recording this in the garden, because it's such a lovely day uh, for those of us in uh, in England who are listening, it's been such a great uh, few week, a few days actually, isn't it? Really, really hot, hottest day of the year for the FA Cup final, but as I was saying, I remember that the day, it used to just be the build-up used to be from start to finish i know the bbc are trying that again this year with some different programming but now it really had a special feel my first actual football memory was uh, to do with the fa cup um was the 1990 final which we'll talk in great detail about because it really was the best final of the decade and possibly one of the best finals of the past sort of three decades bar the the classic gerard final um but i was driving through croydon well not me personally i was a kid but my parents were driving through croydon that day to visit my nan who lived nearby uh, in wallington and obviously crystal palace had reached the final and i just remember there was all banners and streamers across the lamp post there was so many people out all the blue and the red and it was my real first taste of what football meant to be a football fan um, and then i remember the 1990 world cup and got involved in all that euphoria which really began my education what a perfect time as well in the 1990s so 
episodes, it'd be really good to, to look back on some of the finals. What we did find out on the show, though, when you look back at the finals in the 1990s, they weren't the greatest just decade for good finals. There were a lot of drab affairs. Obviously, the one that stands out is 1996, and if it weren't for those beautiful cream suits that Liverpool wore, there wouldn't really be much to talk about at all, really, would there, uh, for, for that final those suits have gone down in legendary status that's why they're on the front of the book cheap plug all available from Amazon and all good bookstores but yeah it really was a decade where there were moments in finals that you'll talk about but really overall the games over the 1990 quite one-sided um, and if not quite drab which is a shame. I think Arsenal Sheffield Wednesday was probably another exception because that went to a replay as well. But yeah, we'll get into all that uh, on the show today. We've got two debutants as well as Matthew Christ uh, back on the show, our Man United representative from Football Whispers. Uh, Chaz Nuki Burden as well joins us for the first time. He's an Arsenal fan and a journalist who'll be talking through 93 and 98. And it's a pleasure to have on the show Sam Parking, who not only is a fan of football in the 90s and now a pundit on BBC Wilshire and BBC London. He was a footballer in the, what, more 2000s and later in the decade but he grew up on the YTS at Chelsea and was on their books in 1998 and then went on and had a successful career uh, for Walsall and Swindon and Luton amongst other clubs and most importantly he's a QPR fan a massive QPR fan nearly signed for the club a couple of times as well which I asked him about on the show I'm going to keep this one short and sweet because I want to get the show out and uh, my daughter's hanging around, the dog's barking. I want to get on with the FA Cup finals. Before we get back to the countdown shows, which we will do after this one. Oh, I must mention the guest on today's show as well, Paul Stewart, who played in the 1991 FA Cup final. Of course, scored the equaliser of Spurs. Great stuff. And of course, I ask him about that advert and that car and the autographs all alive and kicking because, hey, this is alive and kicking. We've got to ask him. So that's all to come. Before we get into the meat of the show, then just a little reminder, you can follow us on twitter at ak90s as facebook as well please like us on facebook we need some more likes on there go on if you're on facebook because i'm sure most of you are who isn't in this day and age get on facebook you know what? if we get enough likes on facebook i might even start an instagram account because i've just started one for me personally which i was kind of coerced into i'm not sure if i'll stay on it very long but if you want to follow me on twitter or on instagram it's at asherose uk but of course follow the show and if you're on itunes give us a re- rating and review that's always helps all previous episodes are on there including our last show on fa cup which is all the rounds before the finals go it's called the magic of the cup go back and listen to that but let's get on with today's show then here it is me Chaz, matthew and sam parkin chatting fa cup finals in the 1990s i'm ash rose enjoy the show okay well joining me on the line now we've got three people to talk and look back at fa cup finals in the 1990s firstly uh, becoming a regular on our show our man united voice he's a journalist that has written for the Football Pink and most notably on Football Whispers, where he does a great lot of nostalgia stuff, especially today of all days when we're recording this, when it's, uh, oh, I can't even think of how many years, but it's the same day that 1999, May United yeah. won the Champions League and he's a May United fan. Matthew, Christ, how are you doing? Hello, how are you? 18 years, by the 18. way. 18, I couldn't yes. be, mass was, it's too hot, the mass is in my head, is not done well. Yeah, it feels longer than that, to be honest, personally, but no, 18 years. 18 years, wow. Okay, and join yeah. us, two debutants, always like to debutants. Firstly, you may have read his stuff on a, across a number of different places, in The Guardian, The Telegraph, and 442. He's a gunner, and he's called Chaz Nuki Burden. How are you doing, Chaz? Hi, how are you? I'm very well, good to have you on. We'll be talking Arsenal's two cup finals with you, and joining me in the neutral place... Also very neutral as a fellow QPR fan as well. We don't do the FA Cup. Um, he, he was someone who not only loved football in the 90s, but grew up put on training to be a footballer in the 90s. And by the end of the decade, was on Chelsea's books and then went on to play for a notable clubs, including Swindon, Ipswich, Leighton, Orient, Walsall, Luton. So many clubs. Former footballer, Sam Parking. How are you doing? 
Hi Ash, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And these days you're a bit of a pundit on BBC Wilshire, isn't it, I believe? Yeah, I've been doing some stuff at my former club, Swindon, and, and just started to make the transition to BBC London as well. So that's going well, covering a lot of the, the London clubs, including our beloved QPR. Indeed. Now I have to ask you this while you're on. You, how many times did you almost sign for us? Oh, well, I think it was... Ian Holloway was particularly annoyed about it, I think, over the years when I, was, I seemed to be scoring against QPR every, every time I turned yeah. up against them. Um, but yeah, I did come... When I left Swindon, obviously, it looked like it was a done deal. It's obviously my club. It's where I wanted to go. Um, I spoke to Ian Holloway at length on the phone, but the two clubs just couldn't agree a fee. So it was obviously bitterly disappointing because at that age, I'd have walked over Hampstead Bridge and, and played for nothing probably. So oh. um, yeah, it's always one of my biggest regrets. But thankfully... Hopefully, I'll be able to take my children there in times to come and I won't be booed because that might have not been the case if I'd have uh, turned out and been bad Never, on the pitch. never. Unless your name's Cole Eburn, then never. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's talk football in the 90s then. And that's for before we go into FA Cup finals, as we always do here on AK90s, we're going to go to our football CVs. And Matthew, it's your hat-trick appearance. So it's mm. goals. Um, your favourite mm. Man United goal from the 90s. Well, as always, I'm... I'm I had another sleepless night last night thinking of this one because <laughs> there's so many to choose from. And I mean, like you say, 18 years ago today, Solskjaer's 84th minute winner, was it? Um, sorry, 94th minute winner. Fantastic. Uh, you had Steve Bruce scoring. We spoke about the other week, Steve Bruce scoring in uh, injury time against Sheffield Wednesday. All momentous goals for United. But I have to judge this on um, sort of personal reasons, really. And I'm going to go for... Mark Hughes in the FA Cup semi-final against Oldham in 1994 at Wembley. Good goal. Apt being a, yeah. an FA Cup special. But I just, I don't know if you remember the context of this game. United were running away with the league at the time and they were looking set to win the double, but they'd stumbled badly in the league. They dropped points. Blackburn were breathing down their necks and United were 1-0 down in extra time of the semi-final, which was been played at Wembley then. And it just looked like the whole season was going to fall apart the wheels had come off and if you remember how it happened but Mark Hughes scored a fantastic volley in I think it was the, the last minute of, of the game and uh, just the relief being there that day and, and I don't think I've ever gone as crazy being at a, at a game um, when a goal's gone in and it just changed the season and obviously after that they went to a replay which United won comfortably they went on to win the league quite comfortably but it, I, it just for me it's such a difficult choice but that game that goal was just such a huge relief and if you watch it back I watched it again yesterday and you, you can just sense the relief all around the, the team and the club and the, the fans and I mean God, we could do a whole whole show on United's goals in the 90s yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, many, yeah the Pantanar yeah, I mean, one against uh, is it Bramall Lane in the Newton Heath half that one always sticks out yes me. and I remember talking to that kit there was a fantastic Cantonar goal away at Sellers Park in the FA Cup as well yeah. Uh, against Wimbledon, a brilliant uh, where he, he controlled it on his thigh and, and, and put it in the corner, and then there were, there were a lot. But I think I had to go with emotion, and, and for me in the nineties, it was that Mark Hughes goal among among volley. many others. Great volley, yeah. and then it, out- it was, it, but it was it was Hughes all over just to, to be able to get that in first time on the volley. To, you know, where he, he was on the edge of the box and he volleyed it in the top corner over his shoulder, and uh, fantastic goal, mm. fantastic goal. And outside of Old Trafford, your favourite goal of the nineties? <sighs> well. Again, a, a tough choice, and there's some obvious ones. I mean, I'm a the Daly and Atkinson one at Wimbledon. Yeah. I'm a big fan of. I mean, I love Daly and Atkinson. I love the way he played. And that was a brilliant goal. 
Trevor Sinclair. I mean, you say QPR aren't a cup team, but I don't. I seem to remember yeah, him that, scoring a fantastic mm, goal in the FA Cup. The goal, yeah. I but, think Trevor's mentioned yeah, it a few times since, yeah. Yeah, but I'm going slightly off the wall, and the reason I'm doing this is is just to get a mention in for a player that I've got a lot of time for, and I'll probably get slated for this being a United fan living in Liverpool, but it's John Barnes in September 1990 against Aston Villa at the Cop End at Liverpool. I don't know if you remember it, but he, he picked the ball up sort of on the wide left-hand touchline cut inside and he struck a shot from the corner of the area and it went right in the top corner and bounced down it always looks great when a, when a goal goes in off the bar and bounces down and it was just a brilliant goal and I remember Martin Seiler I think his, his commentary was oh my word or something before the days when Martin Seiler used to shriek all the time but it was just a brilliant <laughs> goal and he, he did something similar in the four all against, oh yeah I remember that uh, one the, yeah. the Mersey, he did one very similar he used to cut in from that, that side and Instead of crossing, he would just find that far corner. And it, it was a brilliant goal. But if anything, it's just an excuse for me because I've always had a lot of time for John Barnes. I think he's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. But obviously talking in a 90s podcast, I, it was probably only the first year or two of that decade that he was he, at his peak. But I just wanted to get a mention in for John Barnes, really. And I just think that was a fantastic goal. I, I doubt many people remember it, but it's on YouTube. And I, I've, I've just I've literally reckoned... watched it. It's a great... And I kind of remember when you said the bar, that kind of rang a bell. But yeah, I've just rewatched yeah, it. Yeah, it just, it, it just found that far corner from the... But he was just capable of doing that. I, I just think he... Again, not wanting to make the podcast about John Barnes. I just think he was capable of doing so many things. You know, he could head the ball. He was a volleyer. He could beat people. He was great at crossing. And, and to shoot from, you know, from best part of 20 yards I think he's got about five six defenders in his way and he still finds the far corner of the net I just think he was a great player and that that summed him up really so uh, unpredictable choice probably but yeah no we like that but, and also you talk about 90s and John Barnes you've got to talk about Luke Said anyway and that's the the best thing he did in the 90s what an advert that was yeah yeah absolutely yeah tried to keep yeah, a, ball, a, a can in a bin ever since Chaz let's go to you yeah. then and talk um players because it's the first time you've been on um there's a usual theme when we have Arsenal fans on to their favourite player in the 90s. So um, are you going to stick to the Tony Adams vein or are you going to surprise us? I'm going to surprise you. Uh, I'm going to go with Ian Wright. Oh, okay. um, so basically, I mean, he was very much, you know, a man of the 90s for Arsenal. He was there for the George Graham era. He was a complete thorn in the side of Bruce Rioch for that much forgotten uh, year. Um, and then he made a decent contribution for Wenger's two uh, first two seasons. Um Obviously, I loved his goals, but what I really loved was his personality. I just, you know, as young younger fan, not young, but a younger fan at the time, I loved how cool he was. I loved his sort of reggae goal celebrations. I sound like, you know, some old buffer trying to talk about black culture when I call it a, a reggae goal celebration, but he'd do those with Kevin Campbell, and I loved that. Um, did you love his all, song? Just, did you buy his single? Oh, I did, yeah. Oh, I was <laughs> I was crazy about Ian White when I around that time. I would have bought it however awful it was. But um, he, but also he had a really big heart. And I remember um, I, inter- I one of the first interviews, because I used to work for 90 Minutes and Shoot oh, as a staff perfect. writer. And one of the first interviews they sent me out to was a, a group interview, like a round-the-table interview with Ian Wright. And I don't mind admitting that now, you know, I was absolutely, I was almost bursting with excitement. I was bricking myself. I was happy. I was terrified. I couldn't believe I was going to go and sit around the table with my hero. When I walked into the room, all the other journalists were about two or three times my age, two or three times my waist size. I sort of stumbled in like some sort of average looking fetus from a failed <laughs> boy band. And um, I kept introducing myself to everyone. Hi, I'm Chas from Shoot. I'm Chas from Shoot. Oh, hi, I'm Chas from Shoot. And I was so nervous. I must have said it about 20 times in the first two minutes I was in the room. And then Ian Wright came over to me and he just said, don't tell me. 
I know who you are. You're Chasm Shoot. And then he took me around all the same people again. And he said, do you know who this is? This guy right here is Chasm Shoot. And at the time, I just thought he was being Ian Wright-like and funny. But looking back now, um, he was trying to put me at ease. He was just trying to turn it into such an absurdity, the whole situation, that because he could see how overawed I was by him. And I thought that was quite sweet, actually. Um, so, yeah, Ian Wright, very much so. Good story as well. I like that a lot. Copy that. 90 Minutes as well. Always good for mention 90 Minutes. Love that magazine. Yeah. Outside of Highbury, then, that's your favourite player of the 90s. Well, I've actually changed this since we started uh, recording. So I'm going to go with uh, Mr. Edward Sheringham, oh, okay. uh, which, again, uh, like, like before, is, is like one that's going to perhaps uh, surprise some people. But what I'm a big fan of, I'm just going to be blunt about this. I'm a big fan of players who make baying crowds look stupid basically mm-hmm. i love it i loved it when Cantona kicked that fan i have no <laughs> measured view on that i think the only issue i have is that he didn't kick him harder i love it when players are getting jipped from these idiots in the crowd i don't mean banter i don't mean like you know jokes and banter and mild uh chance but when it's like you know you've got some sort of huge wheezing fat 80 year old jabber the hut looker like next to you going you ain't got no pace and i like it when they flip the v's back as in who are you and um he used to do that to us Arsenal fans all the time because he started off, I think it was when he was at Forest, someone said in an interview, are there any fans you hate? And he said, I hate, or is there anything you hate in the game? And he said, I hate Arsenal fans with the passion. And I'm not quite sure why he hated us at that point, um, but he did and he said it. And so wherever he went, obviously Millwall, Spurs, um, Man United, it just got worse and worse. And when he went to United, and I think I'm right in this, you can pull me up for me. I think they didn't win anything in his first year. No, no. So we had our famous chant song, about... It? Went to United and yeah. won their fall, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we had that. And then he won the treble. And we tried to desperately, or the fans who chanted it, tried to grab some credibility back by saying, you may have won the treble, but, the treble, but you're still a, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that chant. And it's like, you've lost at that point. All you can do is just not chant about him anymore. And he used to constantly wind us up, little gestures while we, he was waiting for a corner at Highbury, which would just enrage everyone. So I loved that about him, even though it was aimed at my own fan base. I also like the fact that he just always looks exactly the same. I saw him on that U96 documentary last summer, looking back at it, and I'm like, he still looks to me yeah, like he much. did when he was at Millwall and yeah. Spurs. He just never ages. So he must hydrate a lot and have um, a good moisturiser. Yeah, yeah, lots of summers in marbs probably for Teddy Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I'm going to enjoy this, Sam. We've already talked about this uh, briefly via, on Twitter. Your favourite QPR player of the 90s? I'm going to I'm gonna have to go obscure, Ash, because I think it's too obvious for me to say Sir Les. I've, I've bored on so many times about him being my hero. I'm going to go Clive Wilson. Oh, and Mr. Consistent. I've done extensive research for this. I pulled open my bottom drawer of my cabinet this morning and I've got all my uh, shirts, my QPR shirts, with the names still emblazoned on the back that I had in the 90s. And I've got a couple of shirts with Clive's name on them. So I'm going to go for him. Um, I'm biased, of course, but he, how he didn't play for England, I know. God only knows. I mean, we have David Bardsley, obviously, on the right-hand side, who got one cap against Spain, I think. But... Wilson, looking at his career, he played like 100 times for Chelsea, Man City, QPR, and then obviously Jerry took him off to, to Tottenham as well. But, I mean, he was the most... I don't think he was great defensively. Maybe that went against him. But in terms of, like, coming out with the ball, going beyond people, because I think he started as a winger, he was absolutely sublime. And um, another thing, he used to take penalties. Great I think penalty. when you're like... Oh, yeah, I think when you're like a kid, you become obsessed just with... 
I don't know any intricacies of anyone's game. And I used to like, you know, even if you lost 3-1 at home and Les Ferdinand had scored, I'd take some crumbs of comfort from the game. And um, it was the same with Wilson. He used to score a lot of penalties. So when I became a pro, I weirdly, I'm quite good. I was quite both-footed, but I used to take penalties with my left foot, even though right was my stronger side. And it was something to do with Clive Wilson. No pace on it, and I used to try and send the keeper the wrong way. So um, I owe him a lot, and I also missed a few high-profile ones as well. So I've got him to blame for that as well. <laughs> I don't remember Clive missing maybe one or two. I don't remember him missing many. I remember him taking one. It was the fifth round of the FA Cup. I remember it uh, because we played Manchester United in the yeah. quarterfinals at uh, Old Trafford. And Clive took one in added on time against Millwall. And I just remember I'd been petrified for 85 minutes because there was Millwall fans all around us in the QPR end. So I'd basically like been sat behind the goal petrified. And then he um, just angered me further in the last minute by scoring a, a last minute pen. Yeah, my brother-in-law is a Millwall fan, so I constantly always shut him up with the words Clive Wilson because <laughs> when he goes on about beating Arsenal and Chelsea that year, it's like, yeah, but who knocked you out? Um, yeah. at, I'll try not to talk too much QPR today. I know it's it's, it's going to be a loving for me and Sam. But outside of Loftus Road, then who would be your uh, favourite player in the 90s, Sam? That's so difficult. Oh, so difficult. I didn't realise that question was coming. <laughs> I loved Gaza. I loved Gaza. I had the waiting for Gascoigne video, oh. um, which was like loads of uh, behind-the-scenes footage of him at Lazio initially and then down to Glasgow Rangers. So I loved his character, but also obviously on the pitch. But I'd probably go for Chris Waddle. Am okay. I allowed Chris Waddle? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know he spent the majority of the early 90s at Marseille. And that's, mm. that's part of it because we used to go down there on holiday and... Um, we used to be served by a fellow who just referred to him as Magic Chris in the local bar. <laughs> so I became like obsessed with Marseille as well at that age. And he had the mullet. And I don't know, anyone kind of left-footed with that kind of language style, no pace, but could go round people. It was just some kind of art to it. And seeing Mares last year in the Premier League, there was just something about Mares that reminded me of Chris Waddle. Yeah. I think it was the way you could go kind of either side and get shots away with either foot. Um, I, just, I loved Chris Waddle. I, I loved the Maverick. And of course, we had a, we had plenty of them at QPR, but I'd probably go for Waddle just over Gaza, just purely for that spell at Marseille, as well as obviously what he did at um, Sheffield Wednesday when he came back. Mm, Before we talk uh, FA Cup Finals, Sam, while we've got you, it'd be amiss of me not to ask you about your career. I know you obviously played in the in the later decades, but growing up, as I imagine you went through the YTS system and all that in the 90s, which is very different to kind of what it is today... Tell us just quickly about growing up as a youth team player in the 90s and how you arrived at Chelsea. Well, I was really fortunate because, I mean, my thought process to go to Chelsea at the time was probably a club that gave young players an opportunity. I mean, I'm talking Frank Sinclair, D. Newton, Jody Morris, Dave Lee. I mean, the whole first team squad was full of uh, products of their system. So that was my thought process. Mm. Every London club was kind of in for me, <laughs> apart from QPR, bizarrely. Um, but when Another I arrived one we missed. There, yeah, I mean, it was weird because obviously it was on my doorstep as well. But when I arrived at Chelsea, it, it was when Rude Hullet had just taken charge. So I was there throughout that transition when they'd started to sprinkle the first team squad with the um, the foreign players. So it was an amazing time to be at the club. But those two years, I mean, you'd, you'd hear John Terry and people, you know, um, people like Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard talking about that period. And the two years as an apprentice are just amazing amazing days um you spend the majority of your time at the training ground you're there kind of nine to five cleaning the boots doing the errands in the morning um getting the boots ready you know you're, you're absolutely petrified to speak to any of these players especially when you had zola and 
Viali and people like that in the building. I mean, you didn't even, you know, you're petrified to even look at them. So you had that real respect. Um, you did your chores, you went out and trained, and then you got ready for the youth team game at the weekend. So amazing days, and I had the best education at Chelsea. Um, I do feel a little bit hard done by because during that period there was they were signing the best young players in Europe. So you know what what kind of chances mm-hmm. a young lad from from West London got. But in terms of the the uh, the building it gave me in terms of what I went on to achieve, I couldn't have had a better place to get my education. Brilliant. No, good stuff. Good to hear that then. Um, let's talk FA Cup finals then. Um, it's a good place to start with having a Man United fan on because the beginning of the decade, probably the best FA Cup final of the, the whole 10 years, looking back, the first game in 19... It's the first final I kind of remember. I said it in my intro that my, my family lived that way in Croydon. I remember seeing the hurrah and the, the banners and everything going on uh, for Crystal Palace. But, but Matthew, you, it was Man United's first big trophy under Alex Ferguson. It kicked off the decade. That, that 3-3 draw at Wembley was, was great for the neutral. Probably not great for you, though. What are your memories of it? Yeah. Well, you say the best final of the 90s. I still say it was the best, the last great FA Cup final that's that's been played, which is probably a bit unfair. I mean, there was the Gerrard final in yeah. 06, and there's been a few others. But I, I think this was a really, really good game. Trying to look from a neutral's point of view, it was a fantastic game. But from a United point of view, it really was a cup run and a cup final that changed everything. I mean, obviously you had the, the Mark Robbins uh, goal in the third round that beat Forrest, and then United just went on this this uh, momentous role. I mean, the league form was dreadful. I don't, they went about three, three months without winning a, a league game. But the FA Cup just kept that season going and um, and obviously it's been credited for keeping Alex Ferguson in, in his job but the, but the final itself I mean United had battled relegation that season that sort of stayed secured their place in about March I think Paris were down there as well so you had two teams in, a, in an FA Cup final that you really wouldn't expect in a final back then especially when you had you know Liverpool who were flying or whatever but but what a what a great game and uh, I don't know how much of it you remember but it was Gary O'Reilly Put Palace ahead early on. Um, Jim Layton had a bit of a stinker that game. Yeah, he did, yeah. Ultimately, cost him his well his place at the club. Uh, he came out and flapped it across. O'Reilly scored, and then United got back into it through Robson. Um, went two one up, and I think everyone thought that was that was that. But then Palace came storming back through the fellow we were chatting about earlier on. Ian Wright came off the bench after I think he'd broken his leg about yeah he had yeah six months before or ridiculously early before that and he came on as a substitute and absolutely tore United apart scored two goals in well, 10 minutes something like that and looked like Palace were going to win the FA Cup and, and they would have had every right to do that at the time but that man again uh, Mark Hughes popped up with eight minutes to go in uh, extra time and saved United yet again and then I'm not sure how much we want to talk about the replay. Because Terrible game absolute, of football. Absolute stinker. <laughs> um, Leighton was subsequently dropped for his uh, performances, in, or his performance in that final. And the late great Lesley stepped in, and um, United did win the final. But I, but the, the the first game I think was a real really good game. I could quite happily watch that again. And uh, yeah, from from a United point of view, it wasn't great. But but I liked that era for United. I think it was they were on a cusp. And I remember that season going to league games where they were absolutely awful but that because of what had happened in the cup run that season it just I'm sure it's happened to a lot of other clubs before but it just gave you that momentum to think oh you know we're not doing well in the league but next week we've got a we've got the cup sixth round or the semi-final and that uh, and that just kept kept everyone going and it certainly 
certainly changed the fortunes of that club. Because I mean, obviously after that, they went on to win the Cup Winners' Cup and then blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but a, great, a great game. Even, a great, it, was a great, yeah, it was a great yeah, game. I don't, know, I don't know if a Palace fan would agree with that, but I thought it was a... Good, well, we spoke game. to we spoke to John Salarco um, last couple yeah. of episodes ago, and he was still quite you know he's, uh, complimentary about the game, even though the result. And he obviously mentioned that that was their chance to, to win it. Really, once the re- once he went to a replay, it was kind of going to be Man United's game. And of course, Lee Martin, the, the famous name, Lee Martin, winning, yeah, who you didn't yeah. really hear of again. I mean, Sam, do, do you remember this game? What, what's your first sort of FA Cup final memory of, of the nineties? I remember it, not watching it live. Obviously, I've watched it over and over again, the goals in that respect. But the, the following year is my first real FA Cup memory, uh, Tottenham, Nottingham Forest. Um, the main reason for that is a couple of my good friends at school were Tottenham fans. So we watched it. I remember watching it at theirs. And my good friend was in tears when um, Stuart Pearce scored and Gazza had gone off injured. So we were all laughing our heads off at him. And obviously they, they turned it around and won 2-1. And then we, um, I just remember going down and, and doing the goals. Um, uh, do it, going down and, and uh, pretending I was Paul Stewart probably. And then um, it was Des Walker own goal, wasn't it? So yeah. going and recreating the goals at Mortlake Green, which was um, just down the road from where I lived. So yeah, I remember that just from sitting on the back of a mate sofa and, and mocking the Spurs fans, to be honest. Yeah. And Chaz, how about you? What was your, what's your earliest memory of, of a final in the 1990s? Yeah, I remember. I remember that the Palace Man United one well. I remember two things. Um, firstly, that I was watching it with my dad, and my dad's one of those people who doesn't really like football, but he sort of makes an effort to try and sort of, I don't know, bond with me or something. He's the type of person who, even to this day, halfway through a match we're watching, will turn around to me and, and ask me if Peter Shilton still plays. <laughs> you know, he's that sort of level of He's interest, old, but, but come on, yeah, yeah. Um, and then. Uh, but what I remember that time was we watched it and when Ian Wright scored, I think his first, because I, I even loved Ian Wright, you know, before he came to Arsenal. And when uh, Ian Wright scored his first, I was so excited that I, I remember I slapped really hard um, the wooden sort of armrest of the armchair I was sitting in. I went bang, bang, bang and didn't realise my dad had fallen asleep. So in the space of a second, Ian Wright, of a couple of seconds, Ian Wright scored. I slapped the armrest with joy and then my dad woke up and screamed abuse at me like, what the hell are you doing? Like, as he'd been woken up with a jolt. I remember that. I also remember, I think that's one where, and I'm going to sound like John Motson talking about black culture again now, but I think that's one where um, uh, Steve Koppel did like a sort of a flicking hand celebration. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Which he pulled off with much more plum than one might have expected. Yes, so true. I remember that. I remember that game well. Yeah, Street Steve Copper, wasn't it? Yeah, and then yeah. and then the following year, of course, it was as Sam mentioned, Tottenham Nottingham Forest. But on the way to the final, of course, Gaza and at Wembley scored that famous goal against against <laughs> Arsenal and Dave Seaman. And but the final, I always remember it being about Brian Clough, and it never really worked out for Brian, did it? No, it didn't. No. Um, that whole sorry, I was briefly traumatized by remembering the uh, the Gaza goal, but uh, <laughs> yes, um, no, it was an odd one uh, that year. Um, God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to speak rationally about it. Um, it's all right, we can concentrate on the finals. No, it's an FA Cup finals episode, we've done this, yeah, we'll, we'll skip that. It's fine. <laughs> was it not that final? That's the didn't Gary Lineker miss the penalty? Yeah, in he that did. Final Mark, as well. yeah. Mark, mm. Mark Crossley, Crossley scored, yeah, yeah, saved it, yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, only the second person was it after Dave Bassett who saved it in '88, wasn't he? Saved John Aldridge. Yeah, yeah. But to tell us more about 1991 is a good segue. Um, he's my guest this week, uh, talking alive and kicking. I spoke to him earlier today. He scored in that very final in 1991 as uh, Nottingham Forest lost to Tottenham, as Sam mentioned, Paul Stewart. Uh, he also played for Sunderland and Liverpool in the decade. And here he is speaking to me earlier today on Alive and Kicking. Joining me on the line now on Alive and Kicking is former Tottenham, Liverpool, and Sunderland midfielder. Paul Stewart, welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. We're taking you back to the 90s, and you're especially apt this week as we're talking FA Cup finals. But let's start at the very beginning of the decade. You were at Spurs, uh, although you were a Manchester lad. How did you end up at Spurs, and how did you enjoy your time there? Well, I, uh, I signed from Manchester City. I went, obviously moved from Blackpool to Manchester City, enjoyed a great second season, scoring quite a few goals for them which prompted uh, Terry Venables and Tottenham to come and uh, sort of buy me from Manchester City. Um, so I joined, basically, a day before Paul Gascoigne. Um, and we both started our careers sort of at the same time with Spurs under, under Terry Venables. Oh, we, we can't not ask you, as we always do, someone who played with Gaza. You must have some Gaza stories. Is there one that you can, that you can remember most? Well, I mean, there are so many, but I just remember the talent that he, that he had and and especially the, the cup final season, the league season leading up to the cup final. Um, some of the goals that he scored, and he probably, in truth, single-handedly uh, took us to the final that year. So uh, I'm not so sure we would have would have gone on to, to, to reach Wembley without his, uh, without his ability that season. So... You know, what I like to remember more about Paul is is the fondness of how well he played that season, not just in the cup and the great goal in the semi-final, but some of the great goals that he scored in the league season also. Mm. I always remember a game in that run against, was it against Oxford, where he was pretty untouchable, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And and, and to be fair, some of the games um, in, in the cup... Um, you know, there wasn't much between the teams, if I'm honest, and Gaz's bit of brilliance uh, sort of carried, carried us through on many occasions. So, you know, I think without him, we would definitely not have reached that final that year. Mm. Let's talk about the final. Obviously, it's, especially back then, it's, you know, it's such a massive occasion, an all-day affair and everything. I remember at the time, a lot of sympathy was towards Nottingham Forest because of Brian Clough and stuff, but how did you guys feel going into that final? Uh, well, Typically, Forrest had been a bit of a bogey side for us. So, um, we, we, I think we'd got to like quarterfinals of other other trophies uh, where they'd beat us by the odd goal. And in the league, they'd do the same. So, they became a bit of a, a bogey team for us. So, um, you know, we weren't going into the game uh, sure that we were going to win it. But, you know, we thought we were due one um, on the day. Uh, of course, it was billed as the the Gaza and, and, and Clough final because Clough never won the FA Cup and Paul was on his way to Lazio, so naturally it was built um, as that as that final. And you know everybody saw the incidents that uh, that happened during the game to Paul, which which you know was devastating at the time. But you know you only get there once, and and and, and we had to we had to deal with it, and we did. I think we did in the end. Mm. You did indeed, and of course you scored the equaliser in the game. I mean, where does that rate in terms of career highlights to score 
in an FA Cup final. Well, I guess the FA Cup in them days, it was a special trophy, as you've just mentioned on the day. Um, it's the whole day. It isn't just the game. I know the teams don't uh, don't prioritise it now in the early rounds and, and, and don't put their strongest teams out. But back then, it was almost better than winning the league, if you will. Um, and everybody wanted to do it. And I was uh, I was fortunate fortunate enough to uh, to grab a goal in the equaliser. And obviously, uh, I flicked on at the near post for Des Walker to score for our winner as well. So managed to get involved in two goals and, and, and probably it was a lifelong dream to, to, to go to Wembley score and, and win the FA Cup. I, you know, I wouldn't lie. And what were the celebrations like that? Not obviously a slightly tainting what with Gaza's injury, but was it a good night? Yeah, it was a great night. I mean, we went straight from uh, from Wembley, the old Wembley, to, to the hospital uh, to where Paul was uh, and then on to... Uh, onto the, the the after dinner party, if you will, and that I remember waking up with a sore head the next morning, <laughs> having to having to go on an open top bus ride. So I think you can tell by our eyes when you go back through the footage what sort of night it was. <laughs> Brilliant. So before we talk about Liverpool, something I always wanted to ask you about is the the, the advert that Sky did the, the following season, uh, the Life and Kicking, yeah. which is where we take our name from. You had a part to play in that, driving your car through the gates of White Hart Lane. What was that like to be involved in? It was quite strange, really, because I think it's Sky's first sort of advert as well for their, uh, you know, their new venture into the yeah. into the sports side of, uh, and especially football. So applied by Sky and so were the sunglasses. So unlike uh, the players of today, it wasn't my car. Uh, so I did have to give it back after the uh, after the filming of the advert, which uh, which is very very uh, belatedly did I want to give it them back. Let's say that <laughs> I felt like going for a spin in it round London. And the autograph hunters were they real or were they staged? Well, no, they were real. What, what happened was um, they were filming on the pitch with with Gary Mabbott for his part in the advert, and I just walked out of the tunnel to... Um, he wanted to put that in the advert as well, so that we sort of stumbled across, if you will. Well, it's one of my it's my favourite advert. I love seeing it. It's very, <laughs> and, uh, all the different players and stuff, we, we mention it quite a lot on here, so it's good to hear that story. Uh, you moved on to Liverpool. Yeah, well... Go on, mate, yeah, well, carry on. You know, I, I, I was just going to say, I went back last weekend as, as, as was on Sky um, and saw some old faces and it was good to catch up last week uh, with, with with some of the players that I played with uh, in my time while I was there. So, yeah, they looked after us and uh, gave White Hart Lane a good send-off. They, yeah, they did indeed. Uh, you moved on to Liverpool um, in, the, in the summer of 92. I mean, what made you leave Spurs and, and was it the lure of Liverpool? Well, yeah, I mean, in, in, you know, in them days, if a club like Liverpool comes in for you, you know, it's very difficult to turn to turn it down because, you know, they were they were still a massive, massive club, and you know, as a kid, you dream of playing for one of the best teams in the, in, in the country, don't you? And I had the opportunity to move from Spurs uh, down to Liverpool under Graham Souness, but unfortunately, it wasn't. Uh, uh, a highlight of my career, if you will. I didn't quite perform as I should have done. And uh, it is probably one of the biggest regrets that I have that I didn't uh, that I didn't do as well as I would have liked to have done at uh, Liverpool. But, you know, hey, that's football. 
he had injuries as well, though, that didn't help, didn't you? There was a, it was a time when you struggled with injuries. Yeah, I, I did struggle with injuries, and early on in my career, the, 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 you know, at the club. But you know, I, I'd love, I'd love to that to be the real reason behind why I didn't succeed there. But you know, in all honesty, it was my performances on the pitch that uh, that didn't warrant uh, didn't warrant me having a place in the side. And subsequently, I went out on loan uh, quite a bit to Palace and to Sunderland, and you know sort of revitalised my career a little bit, if you will, with, with winning the old first division or the, ch- the championship as it is now with with um, Palace and Sunderland. But like I say, I do, I do regret my time at uh, Liverpool because I, I could have and should have. And, and what about England? You, you managed to get free caps, which is always brilliant to play for England. Was that again, like you said about the FA Cup, was that something of a, of a yeah. dream? Yeah, I was lucky. I mean, I, I, I sort of I made my debut with Paul uh, Merson at uh, at the old Wembley again uh, against uh, you know a fabulous West German side. Mm. So you know, as as a as a child, yeah, it's another sort of dream fulfilled. Um, playing for your country and representing your country again, I would have liked to have represented them more times, but. Uh, it wasn't to be, but you know, I still, I still say that I played for them three times, which is, uh, which is an honour that I, uh, that I cherish, if I'm honest. I know, a fantastic achievement. A question we always ask, and I think this part one is to be easy for you, is that of that era, who was the best you played with? Which I'm assuming would be Gascoigne, and who was yeah. the best you played against? Eric Cantona, by far. Mm. Uh, and I did play against some great players, trust me. But um, I was. Either fortunate or unfortunate uh, to be on the side of the, on, on, you know, on the side of a, a six-nil defeat by uh, by Manchester United at uh, Old Trafford when Eric scored that goal where he, he then parades around with his chest out. Um, of course, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, he was he was just unbelievably talented um, and probably uh, the best player I've ever played against. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time, Paul. It was great looking back at those memories in the cup. You're final. welcome. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank Bye. you, Ash. Bye-bye. Great stuff there from Paul. And he even got to ask him about the alive and kicking advert, which we were all talking about, actually, before we were recording. <laughs> we all love that advert, of course. It's, uh, it's why all the podcast is called the name. What an advert. Um, let's concentrate on finals now. I'm kind of not going to... I'm just briefly mentioned 92, because we did talk a lot about it in our 91, 92 podcast. We did... A couple of episodes ago, where t- uh, Liverpool beat Sunderland, and we'd spoke to Liverpool fan John Isherwood. Quite a comfortable final for Liverpool, of course. Two 0 win after Sunderland's great run, and John Byrne scoring in pretty much every, I think, every round. But the final he scored in again, he spoke to us mm-hmm. on the show. Go in the archive and and look back at that. So we're going now to a, a kind of a trio of finals. Back to Matthew because it was. 94, 95 and 96 all involved Man United. Uh, more good than bad, obviously, Matthew. But for yeah. you, where do those three finals, obviously the middle one is the famous Everton win and that barren yeah. season for Man United. But just talk us through those sort of finals and your, your memories of, of those. Well, yeah, well, let's go in chronological order. Um, 94, United had stormed the, stormed the league. They'd won the league quite convincingly after a blip. The uh, equaliser from Hughes against Oldham had seen United through to the final and I'm not sure how much you remember of that final but it, it was a bit of a I was going to say a damp squib quite literally because it poured with rain which for anyone that likes FA Cup finals when they're played in the rain it really isn't the same and um, yeah again it was it was for United it was more a case of finishing the job and, and winning the double which 
they'd never done before. And um, it was a it was a pretty routine game. Uh, Cantona scored two penalties, and then uh, Hughes added a third, and, and Brian McClare got one right at the end. But I, in terms of incident or, or any, anything like that, I really don't think there was a, a lot to talk about in in that that final. Um, obviously, a year later, probably memorable for for all the wrong reasons. The week before, I'd been at Upton Park and seen United lose the league, um, courtesy of Andy Cole, missing about 10 one-on-ones with Ludek McCloskey. And I remember walking out of that game that day thinking, they're going to lose next week in the cup final. It was it was like the wind had been taken out of them. There was no... I wasn't surprised at all that day when, when Everton beat United. And again, it was a, a poor performance. And obviously, Everton's last major cup success. So I don't want to gloss over that at all because it was a, a huge occasion for uh, for Everton because it was the last big trophy they won but from a United point of view it just put the cherry on a, a pretty stale cake that week because it was a it was a poor poor week to watch United but um, and talking of poor then you've got the, oh, the 96, 96 cup final which I know I, I've written on my notes here don't mention the white suits but I, I think that is apart, the only thing to say really isn't apart it? from the white suits I mean really what else is there to to talk about. I mean, I'd say one thing that isn't mentioned enough about that game is how is Cantona's goal. I, I thought it was a fantastic mm, finish. finish yeah. I mean, whether there were obviously two defenders on the line that somehow didn't stop the ball, but um, it was a it was a fantastic finish. But the, the hype around the game obviously was was a lot a lot bigger than the game itself. But I think you'd be hard pushed to. And I'm not sure whether you've ever considered having a an alive and kicking podcast based around the 1996 FA Cup final. But if you were, then I think we'd be. I think we'd be struggling because it'd be a short it really one, was. It? Yeah, it'd be talking yeah. more about suits it, it, than, than anything else. We'll go back to Man in a minute because I just realised we completely missed 1993 out, um, which is one of the reasons we've got Chaz on as well. Um, so we'll park Man United and go back to that. But Chaz, talking 93, uh, the Sheffield United, oh, Sheffield Wednesday, sorry, games, obviously the second time you played them that season in cup finals after beating them in the League Cup as well. But this one was taken to the replay. I mean, tight game the first one, but and then even went to extra time the second one. I think Sheffield Wednesday really ran you to the wire there, didn't they? Yeah, they were like kind of like the purists then. They were the sort of the, the artisan purists out of the two of us. And we were sort of seen as a sort of workmanlike um, sort of jammy match spoilers, really, in comparison. In other words, they were like the, the Wenger team, of, of if there were one, of that era. They were certainly were one compared to us. Anyway, um, yeah, the first one was truly dreary. And we actually played them four times, uh, no, five times that season. Played them twice in the league, once in the League Cup final, and then twice in the FA Cup final. And you could really tell by looking at the match, you know, these were two teams who were very familiar with each other, who nobody really wanted to take any chances, and it just sort of dragged on. And, you know, I'm no um, monarchist, but, you know, whoever from the Royal Family was forced to sit and watch that first match. (laughs) And they're not allowed to get up and have a piss, anyone in the Royal Box either. They all have to stay there till the end. Um, my heart goes out to them in that match. but um, So then we went to the replay. Um, and even then, it didn't feel like it was ever going to get resolved because firstly, there was some sort of problem on the M1. So kickoff got delayed 30 minutes. Um, the match went to extra time. So goodness knows what time it was by the time uh, right at the end, Andy Linegan pops up with, yeah. the, with the winner. Um, out jumping Mark Bright, who uh, earlier in the match had broken his Linigan's nose with an elbow. Uh, so there was that kind of strange justice there. And I always remember in the post-match interview on the BBC, um, 
they said to Linnigan, you know, how's your nose? And he just said, I don't think I'll be picking it for a while, which I quite liked. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was a, just a brilliant ending. It was such a George Graham ending. Um, you know, I know George Graham has said several times, choice between a 1-0 or uh, a 5-2, he'd take the 1-0 every time. And the luckier, the better. Um, which sort of over the years after this cup triumph really got test our patients got tested because you know he just went for a whole squad that was basically made up for that it was just like four defenders basically four defenders across the midfield as well and then ian wright plus a and other and ian wright would tend to pop up with a goal but um no, these these were they were not great uh, classic matches by any means. And I imagine any neutrals watching were pretty bored. And I think most neutrals watching probably would have preferred Wednesday to win anyway, because as I said, they were, you know, they had Waddle. They were more of a footballing side at, the, at that point. Let's talk to a neutral then, Sam. I mean, th- we're talking about a lot of finals here that they weren't great to watch, really, when you look back at them. But were, were you rooting for Wednesday? You've already mentioned your love for Chris Waddle. Yeah, I probably was uh, on that occasion. Um Going on the Man United finals, I was actually at the uh, the first one, the 4-0 win over Chelsea. I was a schoolboy at Chelsea and I got taken along to that one. So I remember being absolutely drenched. And it's more memorable, really, because I forgot my wallet. So I was just <laughs> petrified for the first 45 minutes. And my poor mum was probably besides herself, sent me off as a 13-year-old or whatever I was. To um, I think we got picked up from Chelsea's training ground, obviously all the kids in the academy and taken off to the game. And I think Gavin Peacock might have hit the bar. Before, I think he did, yeah. Before yeah. United scored. And then obviously it was just a massacre, wasn't it? And um, was it Frank? No, it was Eddie Newton, wasn't it? Absolutely skived someone down to one of the pens. And then yeah. uh, Frank gave one away as well. So, um, yeah, soundly beaten that day. And then, um, yeah, the Sheffield Wednesday one. I remember that one being a replay, wasn't it? And um, watching it on the Tuesday night or wherever it was and, and pretty dab and hoping it was going to go to penalties and then Linnigan popping up late on and I think it was it Chris Woods that let it through his hands yeah he was um, yeah. and uh, I always enjoyed it though because it got it got pinged into the roof of the net by someone didn't it always looked nice after it went through his, his hands but um, yeah that's all I really recall from those those games and then uh, obviously the the Paul Ryder one I've always uh, probably rooted for Everton on that day and um, that, and they won and then the like the, the chaps have touched on the game against Liverpool that will always be remembered for the ridiculous suits which I think they've various members of that Liverpool team passed the buck over the years they have James they? was it John Barnes was it Jason McAteer I don't think anyone's too sure but um, there's some great yeah, pictures that, that, though if you look back yeah. I think we put some a couple of weeks ago when it was the, the anniversary of the game and you can see some of the players it's more than Man United players who are looking at the Liverpool players going what the hell are you wearing brilliant yeah. Sam if, if you've been in a dressing room what if like the captain or whoever was organising the suit had come into you and said, look, lads, we're wearing these on Saturday. I mean, how does that happen? I don't know. I mean, in my experience, yeah, you'd let him know straight away. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that happened, to be honest. I don't know how the lads allowed them to run away with that and them to actually turn up at Wembley on the big day wearing that ridiculous clobber. But normally, I don't think it's up to the captain so much. It would be someone, maybe someone at the, the club did have a contact, maybe in the in the local town, especially some of the provincial towns that I've played for. Um, you would go into the, the swankiest uh, tailors in town and, and get decked out maybe for, uh, well, probably for the season, actually. You get your club suit. So that's normally how it works. It would be someone that you've got a, a contact with. But... Generally, I have played at clubs where captains had a massive say. Um, Jim Magilton, for one, at Ipswich. He was in charge of pretty much everything across the board. If you wanted a restaurant booked, if you wanted 
um, a new car gym would be across it tickets on a match day but some of them really just come into into play on a match day and they're the motivator in the dressing room and they're the they're the words and the eyes on the pitch who you go to to maybe change something tactically but yeah it still does happen that the the skippers at some clubs I know Johnny Jackson's a good mate of mine at Charlton I mean, Jacko, Jacko pretty much has run that club for the last couple of years. Yeah, like, I can't believe he's still there, the to be honest. But yeah, yeah. So um, some some of the lads run it from top to bottom, and I know that uh, certainly in Jacko's case, he still does that uh, down at the valley. Mm-hmm. Last word on these suits for you, Chaz. I mean, Ghastly. I mean, I think Redknapp loved it. I think he he revelled in it. But they were. I think David James is the one to blame, <laughs> though, wasn't he? Well, I think so, maybe. But I remember. Um... I mentioned the in right interview earlier that the very and that that was one of my first interviews for 90 minutes the very first one I did was with Roy Evans which is kind of tracking me in uh, at the deep end but I think somebody got ill and so I sort of stumbled into work one Monday morning hung over and was literally pushed straight back to the lifts uh, and a notebook a tape recorder put into my hand and they said you're going to Birmingham we've booked your ticket here it is um, you're interviewing Roy Evans and so he was at some event there and uh, the only thing I'd say is, is that everything that could go wrong in that interview did. Uh, the tape recorder broke. The pen <laughs> I was using to try and write down his thing broke. And it got. Uh, uh, he was so nice about it. But after a while, I'll be honest, he should have told me to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't. And he was a lovely, lovely man. And, you know, I can't have any complaints about that. But, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, imagine if the same thing had happened, how his attitude would have been and then I think that alone tells you a lot about you know the way that each of those teams will run uh, which in turn tells you a bit about the white suits yeah definitely <laughs> Roy Evans was a great guest on this as well go back in the archive listen to that when we talked about matches of the decade and of course that famous 4-3 in 1996 um, moving on to 1987 a nice segue there uh, we've got three more finals just to quickly cover uh, Sam you would have been at Chelsea then at the time as well when Chelsea won it uh, against Middlesbrough a uh, friend of the show Joel Young sorry um, that was the uh, quickest final goal at the time ever from Roberto Di Matteo and again another final that was really one sided wasn't it Sam yeah, well, I think that was one of Rude Hullet's first trophies. Yeah. I think they won the League Cup potentially in that year or the year before. Um, and yeah, they've always forever be remembered for Di Matteo's goal. But I was actually already in my seat. I remember being lower tier. So you kind of, you're almost standing on the seats, I think you used to back in those days um, at Wembley. So in the lower tier and yeah, just remember them almost from kickoff and him thundering it in over Ben Roberts, wasn't it, in goal, I think. He did a bit of a pathetic dive up in the air to try and get to it. Probably looking back, he might have saved it. And then I think it was Eddie Newton got the second yeah. one. So it was great because I was kind of on the, well, what would I have been there, 97? So, yeah, 16. It was my first year as full-time at the club. So you're part of it by then. And I'd probably been training with the, the chaps in the, the lead-up. I think with the cup finals, it obviously extended the season, but you had the kind of nations pressed down at the training ground and open days. And it was a really fun time to be around the club. And like I said, that was almost the first trophy um, that Chelsea had won, obviously before the Ab- Abramovich years, but uh, when they were becoming a force, if you like. So, yeah, that really, really happy memories. I'll come on to the second one, shall I? Because that one's a bit hazy, if you, if you catch my drift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, let's talk about, quickly about this review as well. I mean, Rude Hullet became the first foreign manager to win the FA Cup. This really was, as Sam said, the spark in, in, in Chelsea's uh, sort of rise to what they are now, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and I think people forget that. Yeah, I think people think of Chelsea as you know, their big... Change in fortune coming in, what was it, 0304, whenever Abramovich became involved. But they did have a sort of a first revolution, didn't they, in, at the end of the 90s when Ruud Hulick came in and you had you know, um, 
Zola and, and, and Viali and those kind of people coming in. So I think this paved the way really for what was going to happen um, for, the, for the, the next couple of decades with Chelsea. But I just wanted to mention Middlesbrough that season because that was the season that they... Do you remember they burst onto the scene? That was the when they, Robson was there. Yeah. yeah, they'd spend a lot of money. Uh, Ravinelli, um, and and do you remember the semi-final against Chesterfield, Chesterfield the, that yeah. epic semi-final when they were two 0 down and came back, and there was the the goal that wasn't given across the line, and and um, I think the final itself very forgettable. I don't seem to remember a lot about the game apart from the goals, but I just remember that season for Middlesbrough was a real up and down because they got relegated, hadn't they? That, that, that was the season they'd had the points deducted, I think, and they went down and then... Reached both finals, yeah. You reached both finals and had the... I just thought from Middlesbrough, I got a bit of a soft spot for Middlesbrough that, that era. I just think Robson did... I, I remember you spoke about it the other week, I think, about Middlesbrough, what, how much Brian Robson did for that team at the time and, and he completely, completely revolutionised that team and obviously winning the cup final would have been... a probably a step too far against that Chelsea team but to get there to get to the final I think was a big big deal then and probably overlooked yeah it was um yeah it was another final again we're going to talk going on to the following year in 1998 for an Arsenal fan great but again another flat final very one-sided uh, they weren't boring they kept on scoring as as they sang at the time in that great FA Cup final <laughs> song but Chaz I mean you didn't care it was the double for Arsenal against Newcastle at Wembley and it was again a very comfortable victory yeah, it was. Uh, however, our march to Wembley that year had been perhaps less comfortable than you know people remember. I think we had three replays. And I think two of them went to penalty shootout. So it was, you know, the, the passage there hadn't been quite as smooth um, one of them as Preston, the if I sort of rightly wasn't it? Was one at Preston? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I think school, one at Preston on and one at West Ham. And, yeah, <laughs> that was when Alex Meninga popped up yes. also at West Ham, yeah. and I think he he did that and um. So by the time we got there, though, of course, we were motoring. We'd done that 10-match league run um, to win the league. Um, and then there we were at Wembley. And, I mean, it was what I remember most about it. You know, the two goals were sort of classic early Wenger years goals. It was, you know, Petit threading it through to Overmars, him speeding through and scoring. Uh, someone else then subsequently threading it through to Vanell because paced onto it and slotted it away. So by 70 minutes... I remember, you know, the match was pretty much over, but uh, Newcastle did hit the post and the bar uh, subsequently. And I, I apologise for bringing up Ian Wright again, but for me, the most interesting narrative of the match, looking back, was that Ian Wright was on the bench and Wenger didn't bring him on, even right at the end. And I remember the camera went onto the bench and Ian Wright was sitting behind Wenger, knowing the camera was facing him, started pulling sort of mock pleading faces. Uh, uh, behind Wenger's back, as in, please, please, you know, can I just have a minute, you know, so he could get his appearance and his medal. And uh, Wenger later said no, that he wouldn't want, even with a minute left, because what he said to the press was Wenger was, um, you can then go down to 2-1, and then suddenly you're chasing the game. Well, I think we can get there, and the fact he sold right soon afterwards, I mean, a lot of Arsenal fans, including myself, think that Perhaps part of the reason he didn't put him on was to help ease his passage out, to sort of give him an early sign that they were about. That sounds a weird thing to do, but it's like Ian Wright was such an, a big, not only at the club at the time, and also he was such an emotional man that I know having uh, memoirs of various people that Wenger and Dean were absolutely terrified about telling Wright that they were going to sell him because they knew that he was going to, 
completely lose it. And David Dean apparently was crying throughout the whole meeting, um, you know, just because Wenger had just decided that he'd seen this kid in Elka and that that was a striker who wanted to build the club around and Wright had to go. And of course, he ended up at um, West Ham. But no, I love that match. And I, I still, you know, just to briefly sort of jump forward, but, you know, I still love the FA Cup to this day. Um, and I think, you know, people who grew up, you know, liking football in the, well, I like throughout the 80s and the 90s, um, I just can't, um, I can't I get this sort of lack of interest that some fans have. Even mm. some fans, you know, I've seen Arsenal bloggers this week talking about, should we chant, uh, should we protest against Wenger or Kronke at the FA Cup final? And I'm just like, to me, the sentence is just bizarre. Not that I necessarily disagree with them protesting against Kronke and perhaps even about Wenger, if that's what they're into. But at an FA Cup final, to be protesting about anything to me seems weird. You should just be chuffed that you're there. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with your sentiments and, and the FA Cup. It's actually something I was going to ask Sam as well. Is As a professional, Sam, I mean, d- did it mean a lot to you still, the FA Cup? Because I think it has changed. And for us fans, it's it's sad to see how the FA Cup is seen now as it was in the 90s when it was such a big deal. It was an all-day affair, which, you know, you had it from morning till evening in, in terms of TV coverage as well. How did you feel about competing in the FA Cup as, as a player? Oh, Amazing! I had a horrific record in the FA Cup, though. I hasten to add. It's the QPR in you, Sam. (laughs) Oh no! I I think I scored two goals in the FA Cup. I mean, I've got over a hundred goals, and I think I only got two. But one of them uh, was in the famous Wickham Wanderers FA Cup run. Oh yeah! So I scored in the fourth round. I think it was recently voted the most important goal in their history. It was the winning goal late on against Wolves, which obviously uh took them into the fifth round and it ended with the Roy Essendon goal at Leicester in the, the quarterfinals and obviously into the semi-finals so I remember that that feeling like it was yesterday because I it was my first it was my second loan spell in the football league scored a winning goal in the FA Cup irrelevant of what stage it was at I mean that was almost the moment where I said I think to my friends and and my family afterwards, if I never achieve anything else in football, I've had this day. And I honestly meant it. And still to this day, I can remember racing down and getting all the papers for the next two or three days because it, it was the back page story, you know, Wickham Wanderers into the fifth round. So that was kind of my, that's my FA Cup memory and, and kind of having to, having scored a goal in the FA Cup, you know, it's just amazing. But just to follow on from what the guy said, I'm, I still love the FA Cup, but I mean, it has changed and it is very sad because it's not, the same as it once was. I think it was the Manchester City Stoke final, wasn't it? A few years ago, they got changed to five o'clock or whatever on a Saturday. And it just really hurt that did because it was all about waking up and, and seeing the build up and seeing the interviews going on the, the terrace above Wembley Way and seeing what the wives were wearing and all that. And on the bus. It doesn't, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have that same sense, but I've got some amazing memories from the 90s, not only going to FA Cup finals, but obviously later on, sorry, in the noughties, um, getting an opportunity to play in it as well. Mm. That's Ty Bow then on the decade and, and just mentioned 1999. Um, we'll go into more details when we talk about that amazing season for Man United. But they bit, again, poor old Newcastle got all the way to the final and pretty one-sided once again, wasn't it, Matthew, with, with Sheringham and Skulls getting the goals? It was. And it's funny just to, to look back at this decade, to, men- to think that we've mentioned Newcastle in the cup final in two consecutive yeah. decades. I mean, oh, two consecutive years. I mean, you think now what Newcastle would give for that, but... Um, but yeah, it's probably apt that we're talking on the anniversary of uh, Solskjaer scoring that famous goal in Barcelona. But this, I always think of this game as almost being the forgotten piece of that that treble. I mean, it, it was such an epic treble that season. I mean, it went the league went down to the to the wire, the last game of the season. Um, 
the European Cup obviously was a, a, a epic story again with the semi-final at Juventus and the last-minute winner. But this game against Newcastle was just so run-of-the-mill. It was just—I mean, I don't know how many, how much of it you remember, but it was just such a, a dull game. United had won the league the, the week before, so this was the second, the second piece in the jigsaw, and United had the European Cup final on the on the following Wednesday, but. Um, Skulls scored after 11 minutes, I think, and I think that completely killed the game. Um, anything that Newcastle had to offer was pre- pretty much killed off from that moment on, and then Sheringham cropped up and, and, and finished it off. But really, what a! It's one of those games where if you've got a DVD or a video of United's treble-winning season, I think you'd you'd probably skip through this bit because it 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 was just so routine. Probably probably gladly for United because the last thing they would have needed in that epic treble-winning season would have been a a 4-3 extra time FA Cup final victory but um, again a, a pretty poor cup fight great result and it was great in, in the context of what United achieved but a pretty poor match I think everyone would agree it was yeah and as we talk through it it's a decade of really poor FA Cup finals unfortunately um, we've gone through the finals we're going to do the uh, players that time forgot in just a minute before we do and, and we'll tie a bow on the, on the FA Cup I'm just going to go to the guys and just ask them their favourite just memory of, of the 90s and try and keep it outside your club guys I know it's hard for you Matthew since you're in five of them um, but <laughs> to the start with, with Chaz your favourite kind of moment from the FA Cup in, in the 90s uh, um, Temptation is to go for that uh, Ian Wright against Palace but I think that um, yeah so I'm going to have to go for that because it's just A it was in such an exciting match man united v palace and it was just such an entrance and it just you know opened the opened the book really for what would be his story throughout the 90s that was where everybody sort of sat up and took notice of them and it was just so exciting and i like goals where especially when it's for another team where as well as feeling where you feel predominantly most happy for the player and that's another thing that sort of varies uh, from player to player there's ian wright was one where even when he scored for us I was pleased for us that we'd won, but I was always pleased for him that he'd scored because he was just so likeable. So I think I'll go for that moment, yeah. Good one, Gid. Yeah. Matt, have you, can you think of one outside of Man United? <laughs> well, it, I'm going to compromise with you here because <laughs> it, it kind of involves United, but it's not because of what United did. But, and I've mentioned this before on, on this show. I'm going to go for the, the semi-finals of the 89-90 season yes. purely because for two reasons. One, it was the first time they'd ever been played back-to-back and they were both live on television, which at that time was just unthinkable you know you i remember in the years before that semi-finals were played on a saturday at three o'clock when there was a, a full a full league program mm-hmm. going on so if you if you weren't there you didn't see that semi-final so to have two games played back to back on a sunday and not just that to have two games one finished four three and one finished three three i just think that was brilliant and, and again not just because united were involved but you had Palace beating Liverpool, who were, Liverpool were you know, the greatest side that we'd seen for years. And Palace beat them 4-3 at Villa Park in extra time, I think it was. And then half an hour later, you had United playing Oldham and you had a 3-3 classic. And yeah, off the top of my head, I would just say that purely for the occasion, not, not for the, the, the teams involved. No, I agree. And Sam, you're neutral like me. What would you say, if you mentioned how much you loved the, the 90s, what would be your favourite FA Cup moment? I'm going to upset you, I'm afraid. Um I'll probably go to that that year when Chelsea won the FA Cup for the first time, 97-98. But I'll go for the semi-final and the Zola goal against Wimbledon at Highbury. Just because I was there in the North Bank, again, um, you know, being treated to a day out by the club. And 
I think just because that period was just evolving so much, wasn't it? And there was so much change going on, and and Zola was so pivotal to all of that. And what an amazing guy for us to learn from being a young player at the club. But um, yeah, it, I think without Zola, they probably wouldn't have achieved so much uh, that year because they went on to win the Cup Winners' Cup as well. I think that year, didn't they? No, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that Zola goal, just that little Cruyff and. Uh, a little right-footed finish at the North Bank uh, was a, a pretty good memory for me. Yeah, what a player. Uh, and talking of players, we're going to go now to our, our new feature we've been doing for the last few weeks. This is called 90s Players That Time Forgot, where I ask each of the guests to throw out a name that many may have forgotten in the great past of the 90s. Give us a memory from them, obscure as we like. Um, it can be your club, could be any club. Let's go to Chaz first. Um, throw us a name from 90s past. So I'm going to go with uh, Remy Gard. Oh. Um, yes. So Remy Gard was one of the two players that Wenger brought to the club before he arrived because he was seeing out his contract in Japan. I think a lot of people know that Patrick Vieira was one of them and his impact was huge. Remy Gard's impact was also significant, uh, but not in quite the same way. On the pitch, he was uh, like a, you know, a utility player who did a job wherever you slotted him in quietly and efficiently. Not unlike Arteta, but... Um, off the pitch, he was. Uh, I know, you know, from talking to players, that his influence is huge. And what he was really doing was paving the way for all of the sort of stuff that Wenger was going to bring in the diet, the approach, the stretching. That he was very much paving the way for that, helping behind the scenes, helping the players understand it and adapt to it. Um, so he was kind of like a sort of a captain. He was like Wenger's captain rather than Arsenal's captain. Um, and he also helped bring the different nationalities together, predominantly the English, the French and the Dutch. And so, you know, the fact that we won the double in Wenger's first full season, Remy Gard's got to therefore have had a big impact. And I'll just chuck in very briefly another one is, um, and this is a bit obscure, but he's a lovely guy, is uh, Adrian Clark, who um, oh, early 90s, played yeah. about six games. Yeah, he played about six games for Arsenal. Um, and we used to call him Robbie the fans, because we thought he looked like Robbie Jackson from uh, East, <laughs> EastEnders, you know, Dean Gaffney's character. And he didn't really look like him. He just had similar hair when he was young. But um, And then he sort of left. I think he went to Southend and various other clubs. Um, but that now he, he fronts a lot of the stuff on the Arsenal official uh, website. And I know, having worked with him uh, on various projects, that he's a very, very nice guy. So I wanted to mention him. And also, there's not many people... Think about all the Arsenal players who played two, three hundred matches for Arsenal, but can't say they ever played with Dennis Burkamp. Adrian played something like six matches, and he played with Dennis Burkamp. So that's kind of cool. Well, yeah, that's all you need as well as an Arsenal player in the night, isn't it? Pretty much. Um, you didn't mention Christopher Ray, which is someone yeah. I wanted to mention anyway, just because he scored the semi-final winner, which is people forget in 1998 against Wolves, which was someone that's very random as well. Um, Matt, you're used to this format. Who are you going to drop us this time? Yeah, and it's a difficult one because the more you appear on this show the more you have to try and remember who you've spoken about and who you haven't and I have to apologize if this name's been mentioned before but it, I had another sleepless night last night trying to remember this guy I could picture his face and I had to I have to confess I had to search to remember his name and his name is Andrea Salenzi oh no he's not been said but what yeah go on have, have we mentioned him before no I'm we've sure had we a Forest fan on as well Matt's our Forest fan yeah he's never and I just him. I just had memories of him playing he signed for Forest in 95 and he came with a real, a real uh, bit about him. He seemed everyone seemed to think he was this the next big thing. He signed for one point eight million pounds, which you know was quite a big deal. And he'd been at Reggiana and Napoli and Torino. And if you look at his record, 
it's hard to believe how he commanded such a fee. I mean, he, he scored 30 goals in 60 games for Reggiana, not bad. Six goals in 40 games for Napoli, average. I mean, he's not, he's not really... Uh, he wasn't one to set the world alight, but um, he, he really was a, a bit of a stinker, wasn't he? he? I think he played 12 games in Social for Forest, was it 12 games, and, and really didn't do much. But the reason I think he's quite pivotal is he was the first Italian yes. player to ever play in the Premier League. And, and you think, if you think what's happened subsequently since him, it's quite hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, there should almost be a, a statue to him somewhere in, in the <laughs> Premier League for, for, what, for what he's created for players... Subsequently, but um, what a what a what a strange signing he was, and it would be interesting to talk at a later date to a Forest fan about um, about how he's seen at the club. But he's, yeah. he's just one of those players that really. Uh, I wonder what he's doing now. Yeah, next time Matt Davis is on, we'll ask him about Salenzi because there certainly won't be a statue of him in Nottingham. That's for sure. No, uh, and finishing no. finishing off, Sam, Sam, what made me laugh when we were texting earlier? You mentioned I can name Oldham's left backs of the nineties. Is it an Oldham left back you're going to give us or somebody else? Oh, I can't. I can't not do a QPR player. Can yeah. I just give you a quick Christopher Ray anecdote though? Go on, about, do it. Yeah. What 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 year did he get the semi final goal? That was ninety eight. Yeah. It must have been two thousand and two. He came on trial to Swindon Town four years after he scored an FA Cup semi-final. And I remember it because he joined in for one session and the lads, you know, when there's a trial issue, you're obviously giving them a bit of stick and, oh, he's no good. And nobody recognised him. I had to go round telling people, that's Christopher Ray. He scored an <laughs> FA Cup semi-final winning goal like a couple of years ago. Bizarre, we never signed him. But uh, I just remember it because I was like, you know, in awe of the fella. And um, he lost his touch by that point. Yeah, he was a bit overweight to be fair. But, yeah. you know, I just I, I recognised him straight away and I was like, bizarre. Um, I was going to go really off-piste and um, obscure and go Dominic Iofa, oh, who was a QPR player who played seven games. But I'm going to go for another striker, Devon White, yes. who I mentioned to you. Classic. And Devon White, I've got it in front of me. He played 26 games for QPR. I mean, I don't want to say he was a laughing stock, but I just remember the humour of the time, you know, going to football matches in the 90s. And I just remember going with my mates and standing behind the goal at QPR in the loft and we would just wet ourselves at this fella. I mean, he can trap a bag of cement. <laughs> and he was really willing, do you know what I mean? He tried so hard. And there's two games I'm going to pick out. One was at home to Everton. Yeah. The ball was bouncing around on the line. It was a big scramble. I remember Neville Southall was in goal and he punched it into the net. I mean, it was so obvious. We were falling around laughing, um, gave the goal. And um, he wheeled off celebrating. And I think it was during that period we played at Carrow Road and it was 4-3. And it was one of the few away games I went to that year. And he got a hat-trick. And it was just the crowd. We, the, the people were crying with laughter. I mean, this bloke, he, he was so far off being good enough for Premier League. But um, it's like he won a raffle, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, he got a hat-trick at Carrow Road. And I remember, I don't know if it's... Uh, PC, but uh, you know Frank Bruno they used to call him. So yeah. Bruno for England and all that was going you know around, and everyone was just falling around laughing. But um, he had an amazing record at Bristol Rovers. This chap, he got like lo- ridiculous goals. I think he was like one in two for Bristol Rovers over like two hundred games. And uh, I was at a game recently, and I brought it up, and you should have seen these fellas that were around me, the stewards and stuff at Bristol Rovers. He was an absolute legend down there. <laughs> so. Uh, I'm peppering him going, he's one of the worst players I've ever seen at QPR, but uh, they loved him in Bristol. You say he had a one in two, I've just looked at him there, he's got a one in two record for QPR, according to my <laughs> statistics of, I'm looking at here, nine goals in 26 well, games. One of them was in one game, three goals in one game. In <laughs> three goals in one and the other, please get it up from that year, he punched it in from a yard, it was unbelievable. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a great one of the great. You'll know it, Sam. One of the great loft for words where the one of the great QPR websites, Clive Whittingham, loves Devin White. I think he's become a bit of a cult hero among QPR fans. But yeah, I agree. He was truly terrible. Bought in as kind of a sort of understudy to Les Ferdinand, but really wasn't anywhere near as good as Sir Les. But no, great, great, great memories of Devon White. And great memories of the FA Cup in the 90s. So thank you very much, guys, for today. That was a great look back. If people want to talk more 90s football with you or find out what's going on, where can they find you on the social media? Coming to you first, Matthew. Uh, Twitter at MatthewJChrist or MatthewChrist.co.uk where you can read some of my articles about me waffling on about old football. Indeed. Uh, Chaz, where can we find you on the social network? Uh, it's all that Chaz on Twitter, and uh, I think it's Chaz and B on Facebook. But Twitter's best, all that Chaz. All that on all that Twitter. And Sam, we will hear your voice on BBC London soon, but where can they get in touch on Twitter? Yeah, it's just um, at Sammy Parkin underscore, and they can yeah see the variety of matches at all the levels that I'm uh, taking in at the moment, I suppose. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much, guys. That was a great look back at the FA Cup in the 90s. Uh, we'll be back soon looking, going back to our countdown of season by season. Now we've done these two bonus shows for you. Uh, we're at 95, 96, which uh, I think Matthew will be on with us talking May United. Oh, bit. Yeah. And Newcastle, of course, that famous title race and Kevin Keegan's meltdown. Until then, I've been Ash Rose. This is Alive and Kicking. And until then, keep it 90s. Yeah.